Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. What A.J. Ayer calls the criterion of verifiability is arguably the most central concept in his short work, Language, Truth, and Logic. And he introduces it, of course, in chapter one within the very first several pages after telling us how his project differs from that of other people. He's going to lay out what this criterion is and make a few distinctions within it. He'll also use those to distinguish himself against several other positivists, logical positivists actually, and set out ultimately a reformulation of this principle in terms that are going to run throughout and be applied within the entire work, including chapter one. So what is the criterion of verifiability? He tells us that it says that a sentence is factually significant to any given person if and only if that person knows how to verify the proposition which it purports to express. Now, that's a little bit of a strange formulation and there's a bit of technical jargon going on there. So we want to unpack this before we move on. Factually significant, it has some sort of sense. It's going to be able to be said to be true or false to any particular person, right? Or group of people. And then the if and only if, that's a biconditional, it's very important. It's defining what it means for a sentence or an expression or proposition to have that status. Then he's gonna talk about how to verify the proposition. We'll get into that in just a moment. And then notice the proposition which it purports to express. That part you could actually leave off if you wanted to. Technically, a sentence expresses a proposition. This is some basic logic stuff there, but we don't actually need to worry that much about this particular issue. We're more interested in this issue of what does it mean to verify and how to verify. So what observations would lead us to taking a definitive stance on the truth or falsity of this proposition? He says that, if the person knows how to verify it, right? If they know what observations would lead them, now notice this important proviso, under certain conditions to accept the proposition as being true or reject it as being false. So there's a lot of things that we can say, well, you know, I'm not sure whether this is true or false. And that doesn't mean that they're therefore unverifiable or they're not factually significant as we're gonna see. We just have to know how we could actually go about verifying them if indeed we, we can. If a sentence doesn't fit that description, then it's what he calls a tautology, and he discusses that here, or it's what he's gonna later call in the work, strictly speaking, nonsense. And both tautologies and nonsense are pseudo-propositions. Pseudo is actually not the best term to use there because technically speaking, it means lying or false, right? But as we're gonna see, tautologies, they're always true, right? 
and nonsense is neither true nor false. So it's a little bit of a, a misnomer there. But he says that if the, the proposition is of such a character that the assumption of its truth or falsehood is consistent with any assumption, whatever, concerning the nature of one's future experience, then it is, if not a tautology, a mere pseudo-proposition. The sentence expressing it may be emotionally significant, right? But it's not factually significant. So there's emotional significance and, and we get into that with the whole emotivist theory of ethics and, you know, perhaps in other parts of the work as well. And then there's factual significance. It actually says something about the world that we can observe and experience. Now, a set of distinctions have to be made. And these distinctions are made in part to respond to, you might say, knee-jerk responses that a person could easily make to say, well, there's very little that's actually verifiable in this, this definition. So one of the key distinctions that he makes first is that between what he calls practical verifiability versus verifiability in principle. There are many things that we can't practically verify. For example, in the time that we're existing right now, the video that you're watching might not actually be me, Dr. Sadler, talking to you, and it could be a deep fake, as we call them now, right? And we're going to have more and more of these as time goes on, unless legislation is somehow passed to rule these out. We now have the technical means to take words and feed them into rather sophisticated AIs that can th then generate those words in the voice of somebody else and with the face of somebody else with the right facial expressions. And it's just going to get better and better and better, better in the sense of getting more and more able to deceive us. Right? So how would you actually verify that this video was me talking to you? Well, you'd have to be here in the room, standing right next to me, verifying for yourself that that was the case. Or perhaps there'd be some other electronic marker that would work as a proxy that we could use. But that's, that's practical verification. That's not really what is feasible for anybody who's, who's watching this now, is it? Instead, what we have is verifiability in principle. Were you to be here counterfactually, you would be able to observe that it is indeed me and not a robot, not a Dr. Sadler impersonator, not the product of a deep fake that is giving this lecture on AJ Air. And for that matter, how do we know that AJ Air wrote this book? How can we verify that? The guy's dead. He actually lived quite a, a long life. I know some stories, uh, believe it or not, about A.J. Ayer because he came to Southern Illinois University where I did my graduate studies and people said some rather interesting and colorful things about him. How do I know that these anecdotes are actually true? I could go back and ask the people, but is that verifying? No, it's not practical verification, but... Verification in principle, I, I suppose, were I to have been there, I could do that. And there's all sorts of things that we don't know at the present. Air uses an example that we actually can verify now, whether there are mountains on the further side of the moon. He says, no rocket has yet been invented, which would enable me to go and look at the farther side of the moon. So I can't decide it by actual observation, but I do know what observations would decide it for me if, as is theoretically conceivable, I were once in a position to make them. I'll give you another example from something that's coming from our real life right now. We have two 
aged pets, both of whom have things, you know, going wrong with their organs in different ways, and they can take MRIs and ultrasounds and interesting things like that, and they can say, well, you know, there, there appears to be this thing going on here, but unless we do a biopsy, we can't really be sure of what's happening, but we're not going to do a biopsy because it would be incredibly invasive, so we're just going to say that this is the case, that this is the case. It is in principle verifiable if we wanted to do a biopsy which would be, you know, intrusive, painful, and probably expensive, and most likely unnecessary, but we're not going to do it. And so it's only verifiable in principle. And we could go on and on and on. We can have all sorts of interesting hypotheticals about what a person would do. I would give my life for you. How do you verify that? Do you actually have to see the person give their life for you? Or can you imagine some circumstances in which that would be made true or made false? So he, he gives you some interesting examples. He gives you an example of a metaphysical pseudo-proposition taken from Bradley. The absolute enters into, but is itself incapable of evolution and progress. Ayer says, this is not even in principle verifiable. I have no idea what would allow you to determine anything about the absolute and whether it enters into evolution or progress. And he says, I mean, uh, it's possible that these are code words and the person is using these English terms in a rather non-standard way. But in that case, it has to be translated into a more ordinary approach to language. So we could in fact verify it. So that's the distinction between practical verifiability and verifiability in principle. Very important one to observe. Another very important distinction is between what Ayer is going to call strong and weak senses of verification. So he says a proposition is said to be verifiable in the strong sense of the term if, and only if, its truth could be conclusively established in experience. But, now he's telling us about the other side, it is verifiable in the weak sense if it's possible for experience to render it probable. So he says that, why do we need to make this distinction? Well, some positivists want to adopt conclusive verifiability as the criterion of significance. And he says that's going to run us into some problems. If we think about general propositions of law, and here he doesn't mean legal systems, he means things like natural law. So for example, arsenic is poisonous, all men are mortal, a body tends to expand when it's heated. He says it's of the very nature of these propositions, or truth cannot be established with certainty by any finite series of observations. Why? Because there could always be some sort of exception and you can't actually observe every possible case of these. So you're making an assumption that what we observe in the future is going to be similar to what we've observed in the past and in the present and that nature has certain regularities to it once we've observed enough of it. So according to the strong conception of verification, those natural laws or, you know, whatever we want to call them. Generalizations is probably better than laws. Any one of them would not be verifiable. And then we'd have some real problems, right? We wouldn't be able to do science. Instead, Ayer proposes that we can rely on probability. So he says that he thinks that no proposition other than a tautology can possibly be anything more than a probable hypothesis. And he says, if this is correct, the principle that a sentence can be factually significant only if it expresses what is conclusively verifiable would be self-stultifying. That is, it would be making one stupid, literally, as a criterion of significance. 
So, you know, that's a, a key thing. He also says, we also cannot accept the suggestion that a sentence should be allowed to be factually significant if and only if it expresses something which is definitely confutable by experience. Confutable means it can be refuted. It can be shown to be wrong. It can be shown to be false. So he says, those who adopt this course assume that although no finite series of observations is ever sufficient to establish the truth of a hypothesis, there are crucial cases in which a single observation can definitely confute it. He thinks that that's not the case either. So we have to rely on probability. So error is proposing this entire criterion in terms of verifiability in principle and a weaker sense of verifiability that can be based on induction. So he ends up coming to another formulation of this. He says, let's make our position clearer. Let us call a proposition which records an actual or possible observation, an experiential proposition. Then we can say that it is the mark of a genuine factual proposition, not that it should be equivalent to an experiential proposition or any finite number of experiential propositions. But, so here's the criteria now, simply that some experiential propositions can be deduced from it in conjunction with certain other premises without being deducible from those other premises alone. Now, why bring in this extra stuff about these other premises and not from these other premises alone? Because generally, in order to get something off the ground, we actually need a whole set of propositions, some of which may not be empirical, some of which are not being brought into question here. But we should be able to deduce, not just induce, but deduce, he says, some experiential proposition from whatever it is that we want to take as being factually significant. That is as having a meaning as something that can be said to be true or false and not just in the sense of a tautology, which is always true. Rather, we want to be able to say what we could verify from this proposition. So this is another way of formulating it. This is going to be a absolutely central idea running throughout the entire text, and you could say Ayer's approach in general. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.